this morning. You ready to worship him today? Let's lift up the name of Jesus. Amen. Father, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you, God. Did you feel the mountains tremble? Did you hear the oceans roar? When the people rose to sing of Jesus Christ, the risen
today, but he's worthy, amen. He's done so much for us. He's just, we celebrate him in this place this morning. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Bridgepoint Church. How about that? Are y'all y'all excited and jacked up this morning? 
We're worshiping our Lord and Savior. We're worshiping our Heavenly Father. Man, so amazing. You know, they say that our worship is tied to our thankfulness. What are you thankful for this morning? Are you thankful for everything the Lord has done for you? Is your thankfulness crying out this morning as you worship? As you open your hearts, is it just roaring loud? You know, they, uh, God cares about us. He cares about our feelings. He cares about our pain. But I heard it said that our tears don't move God, but our praise does. Because no matter what we're facing, no matter how hard things are that we're going through, when we lift up praise to him, it shows that we trust him 100% with all of our hearts. And even though we're in a place of despair, we're willing to praise him, even through the tears. Malachi 3, verse 11 and 12 says, you know, this, this amazing God of ours, it says that he will rebuke the devourer for our sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of our ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. It says all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land. He says you will be a delightful land, right. says the Lord of hosts. So this morning, open your hearts and worship him because he's the only one who can do anything about anything. Yes, and right. when you fully understand this, that's right. you have hope. You always have hope, even in the hardest times. Yes. So, guys, just just open your hearts. I think Pastor said we're gonna we're gonna work our way into just some somber time with the Lord. I, I think we're gonna go into a to a slower worship, but Prepare your hearts. Open your hearts this morning. Um, you know, when we look at giving, we see it as a form of your worship. And we ask you always to ask the Lord what he would have you do, right? We, we don't pass around nothing. There's a box up here in the front. There's a box outside. There's bridgepointtc.com, and there's also Faith Life. There's many ways to give, online or in person, right? But God said... God says, will a man rob God? Malachi 3, 8. We always hear the, if you will do what I ask, I'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing so, so big on you, you can't contain it, right? But he starts out with, will a man rob God? And man is not gender. Man is people, his people, right? So will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed. Do you hear this? He says, when you don't do what I'm asking you to do, you are cursed. He said, there is a curse upon you. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouses. Then, or that there may be food in my house. And try me. He says, this is where he says, test me in this. And this is the good parts that we all love and we shout about, right? Because this is where he says, if you obey me, he says, then test me in this and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven, right? It's, it's your perception. You can't, you can't perceive like, okay, if I give this, I'm going to lose everything. But he's always standing there with the bigger thing behind his back. Like, I, I dare you. I dare you because I got something so much bigger than you can expect. So trust in the Lord, and that's where we get to. He says, when you do this, then I will rebuke the devourer. Nothing will harm your land. You will be a blessed land. 
So God, let's open our hearts and y'all bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this place that we can come to and just be in your presence. Because your presence is a gift, Lord. And I pray that you reveal yourself to each and every person in here. Let your spirit, Holy Spirit, fall upon every one of us and just speak to our hearts, Lord. We love you dearly. I pray for your blessings and favor to go out amongst your people, Lord. We love you and we give you all the praise, all the glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. I grew up in a season where it seemed like the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit just moved constantly. It seems like the closer we get to the end, the less we see that. And I'm just praying this morning that as we sing this song, that we can remember those times and those things and say, Lord, will you do it again? All the father's in the days of old, would you do it again, do it again? All the stories told, all the miracles, would you do it again, do it again? You said that promise of grace was there to me.
Good morning. How is everyone today? No, uh, <clears throat> when we came in for practice this morning with the worship team, it was uh, things were easy. Felt like everything flowed, went well. Everything. I have to tell you, during our worship time or our praise time, it really felt like a struggle. To me, I don't know about you. felt. Sounds like to me this microphone's bugging out. Got a problem? Problem there? Check, 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 check. I don't really need it. I do it mainly because we record these messages and we put them online, and we uh, hope that people will have an opportunity to go back and study and read. Um, study themselves, because you know I, I've told you, I've told you once, I've told you many times that uh, there's no greater compliment to me than when someone has taken the things that we've shared in the pulpit, went home, and they've seen some things that they have questions about that they want to ask about, and they come to me and they ask. That's just the greatest form of flattery, I guess, for a pastor uh, that can that can be given. Because it, it shows that the things that we're sharing and preaching and things that people are, are needing, desiring, speaking to their hearts. So anyway, um, we were not in the pulpit last week, but the last time we were, we were uh, continuing in a series that we've been doing, the book of Revelation. We know that... Uh, this past week, I was thinking about something. I actually put a question out on our text feeds. It said, you know, every every season in your life, uh, to go to the next season, you have a test, and to have um, the opportunity to go to that te- that that next season, you have to pass the test. And so, it just kind of occurred to me that. Um, the book of Revelation is a book of many tests that are coming our way, or that have come our way. And the way we navigate and take the test will be determined by how well we know the material, right? So, if the book of Revelation, there's a test coming, how much time and effort are you putting into understanding? Because I'm giving you the key. See, I'm giving you every time I get up here. I'm giving you the the answers to the to the to the handout. I'm giving you the 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 bullet points to the handout that you'll hold, the study guide that you'll take home, and you'll have that every week. And some of you are taking notes, and some of you are writing things down. And it, you know, it it it, it it's important. And I believe one of the things that God began to speak to me about when we began to study this, uh, this, this book of the Bible was, one, that how difficult it can be and how hard it can be to make it relevant for us today. Because it seems like a lot of the things are for the future. And that, you know, we'll, if we'll just uh, know what the future looks like, if we'll just live our lives for the future and, uh, and, and live in the moment but know that the future's coming, we don't have to worry about that so much. So we have a tendency as a people to put off everything that's, you know, we just want to live right in this moment. We don't want to, and I know Scripture speaks to living in the day. 
living in the moment, living in the time that you're in, and understanding that. But I believe that a part of, of, of a body of believers is to come and to be prepared, to be equipped for the struggles, the trials, the situations, all of the things that are going to come to us, because this is inevitable. It will come to pass. Anything in this book right here will come to pass. It's not that it might happen. If it prophetically has been spoken, it is going to come to pass. It blows my mind every time I turn around where I talk to Christians that are so surprised at the situation that we're living right now and the planet. And all they got to do, they've had the key. They've had the book. They've had the study guide all along. And they would have seen it coming. Now, I'm not saying that it makes it be more acceptable that you want to see this trial, but it helps you be better able to navigate, to go through. The book of Revelation was written by John on the Isle of Patmos where he had been, uh, where he had been uh, exiled to. He came to him in a vision and began to speak to him. And, and we talked about the keys of different things for this. The first week I talked about the what? The cipher. Thank you, Ronnie. Ronnie just got answer number one right on the test. All right? The cipher. Because he knows that this is a book that has many mysteries. It's written kind of to us in the way of it's a painting, it's a book, it's a picture. He saw something, then he tried to describe what that thing looked like to him in some way. So we're trying to decipher that as well. And then chapter one is actually what? No, not chapter one. Huh? And chapter 1 is the outline because it gives you the outline for the book. Because it says, and I think it's verse 19 of chapter 1, it says the things that were, the things that are, and the things that are to come. And we can break the book of Revelation down into three parts. The first chapter is the things that had happened, the things that he had already seen. And then we know that chapters 2 and 3 were the, is the time that we're living in right now, that that is the things that were coming to pass, the church age, the age of the church. And then we know that chapter 4, which is where we're starting today, begins to point to the things that are to come. So there's an outline that looks there. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. What was chapter, or chapter 2 about? It was the letters, the letters to the churches, right? It talked about. Now, I have a question for you about that. In the second chapter of the book of Revelation, how many churches were talked about? No. In chapter 2, there are four. <laughs> and if we talk about chapter 3, we know that I also put the word churches on that one so you'll be able to remember. But how many would there be? Okay, let me hear some simple math for you. Four in the first one, total of seven. How many are in chapter 3? Okay, so that's a total of seven, which is the number of perfection, right? Okay, so y'all are going to know this by the time I'm done, I promise. Y'all are going to know. If you'll go back and just, if you're not here, if you miss things like that and listen to the message, I'm sure that these things will become more, uh, 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 there'll be a system that you'll be able to see there that'll re be revealed to you. Now, last week or two weeks ago, we talked about the last two. We talked about the Church of Philadelphia and the Church of Laodicea. Now, th there's a tie-in to chapter 4 that I want to go to today through those two churches. First of all, the Church of Philadelphia was considered the evangelistic church. 
the church that was reaching the world, the church that was living, the church that was doing the right things, trying to represent Christ in every way that they could. And then there's the church of Laodicea that is considered the apostate church, the church that is basically, basically putting it on. They're, they're a fake. They're actually not doing the right things. They're, it's all about the worldly things that they gain out of it. Now, both of these churches exist at the same time. The church of Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea, they exist at the same time. As a matter of fact, if you follow the timeline of how the churches have shown us a history of what's going on, you will know right away that we are living right smack dab in the middle of Philadelphia and Laodicea. If you've read the signs, you can determine that one church may be a church of Laodicea, and you may be able to see another one and see it's a church of Philadelphia. But let me tell you something about that. that, that those churches are actually for us to look inside of ourselves and see which one of the churches we are. See, the Word tells us that you are the church. We are the church. And we as individuals can be either Philadelphia or Laodicea. We can be so caught up in our own little world and everything's about us and making it about us that, that Laodicea is who we are. And we may not want to admit it, but I want to tell you until Jesus steps out, it is an opportunity for us to make a shift from Laodicea to being the church of Philadelphia as individuals. Now, you know where an amazing community of believers meet? Where everyone in the building has decided that they want to be the church of Philadelphia, and are living out that mission. That's an amazing place to be. That's the dream of every pastor that has ever graced a pulpit, ever had a community of believers that God had made him the shepherd over, put him over to lead and to guide, is that everyone in the building would grow to that place where they would want to be inside themselves, an evangelistic church that would live out the mission, the gospel every day of their life, that nothing else took precedence over what Jesus came to do for them and for the rest of the world. That's an amazing church to be a part of. I believe that's the church without spot or blemish. That's the church that Christ is going to step out and come back for. Amen? Now, if you look at chapter 4, there's a couple of things here that I'm going to basically spend most of my time in the first couple of verses today, and then I'll finish up the next. But there's two pictures here I want to paint for you. First, we're going to look at what is being said in the first couple of verses about a word that has become almost, I won't say it's a dirty word, but it's a word that people want to avoid like the plague because they don't want to take a stance on either one way or the other. As a matter of fact, you know, there's three types of uh, views of what the rapture looks like. By the way, the word rapture is not in Scripture. It's not even there. But it is a word that encompasses what Scripture tells us about what Jesus is going to do with the church. How he's going to approach the church. Now the different views are there's going to be a time and a struggle, a season of torment that is going to be coming to the earth. And no one wants to be in the middle of that, right? No one, no one wants to live out that part of it, to, to go through that and to, to experience all of the plagues. Now, as we get past 
this chapter right here, we're going to start to talk about some of those things that are going to seem like they are very apocalyptic. I'm talking about torturous, the worst of the worst times, the bad times that the earth has not seen up until this point yet. And we're going to begin to talk about those. But in chapter 4, there's two things that have to happen. First, I want you to see this. From chapter 3 till chapter, I think it's 21, there's no mention of the church. I, well, I think about it. There's some reflection things that happen, I think, in verse 12. Chapter 12, but for other than that, anything that's defining what's going on with the church in that period, the church is not even mentioned anymore. I think it's mentioned like several times before, like 19 or 20 times before that, even in the first chapter, but then you don't hear anything about it for several, for like the, the, the middle of this whole book. So it begins to point and ask, you have to bear the question, ask the question, why? You have to start to ask the question, but there's also another part of this that I loved. Before we get to the apocalypse, Jesus begins to show us what we're going to miss if we don't get our lives right with him. Because he comes to John, and he says, John, I want to show you something that is amazing, that is beautiful, that is masterful, that is the, the epitome of glory and beauty and everything. I want to go ahead and read the uh, chapter 4 to you all the way through, even though I know we're only going to get to a little bit of it today. It says, after this, I looked and there in heaven was an open door. And the first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet sound, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and a carnelian stone, and a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones sat twenty-four elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They catch their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord 
And God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. Father, speak to our hearts today. Open up our eyes and our minds. God, help us to hear your word, to have this pierce to the very depths of our heart to cleanse us, to make us whole, God, to go forth and never come back void. God, never come back without having made a change in the lives of the people who have received it today. We give you praise. We give you glory. You are worthy in Jesus' name. Now, in this passage of Scripture, the first verse here, we begin to look. It says right at the beginning, it says, after this. That word is called metatata in the word in the Greek. And it begins to talk about, just like you would think, it talks about the after, after what we have seen. After what we've seen. Now, this particular after this, metatata, is the same one that you see in verse 19 of the first chapter. And it starts talking about after this. After this, it describes what is going to take place at the end of the church age, at the end of the age of the church. Now, I thought it was kind of peculiar that when you look at it, it says after this, and that verse begins with the, the two words after this, and it ends with the words after this. So here John is describing what has taken place and is going to take place with the churches. And he is there, and he has written it down, put it on paper to the best of his ability, described the vision that had been given to him. And then it says, after this. So here we have a moment where it's talking about after this had happened, after he had written this, after he had put it uh, down on paper and made it evident to us, you begin to see where it explains, it said, I looked in the heaven was an open door. And the first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. In other words, after he had seen and received the vision of what was going to happen with the churches in the church age that we listen to, now Jesus is saying, I want you to come up here, and I am going to show you what happens after this. What we are living in today, what we are experiencing today, the next scriptures that we are, a vision that John had that he saw that Jesus brought him up and showed him after this. And the second thing that I wanted you to get today is this, is that right before we see all of the apocalyptic, we get to have two evident things that are spoken to us. There's an after this moment that after this, something else is going to happen. But then we also look later on in this passage of Scripture, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Jesus begins to show us what the throne room of God looks like. He paints this beautiful picture of us of what it will be like to be in his presence. Now, I want to back up and take a second here just to say something to you this morning. 
What we are experiencing here on earth when we're lifting up the name of Jesus and we're bowing down before him and when we're praising him on a Sunday morning is just a smidgen of what will be taking place for eternity in the after this moment. And I feel like often that we approach our corporate worship as if it's just a song or just entertainment or just somebody singing something to us. But the songs that we sang even this morning were talking about the kingdom of God. The king is among us, even here. The scripture speaks to us that we have been brought here for such a time as this to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven being brought to earth just like it is up there. But we treat it like our experience is only going to happen after this. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not willing to worship the Father, worship your God, worship your King with every bit of your being now, you're not going to be willing to worship Him in the after this moment. The Word tells us that the rocks will cry out if we don't lift Him up. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but I just, I'm a pretty passionate person. I'm very emotional and very, you know, explosive in my personality. Sometimes I'm just, you know, just, whoa, and just go. Yeah, I see Leo Dressini. I understand, Pastor. I know all about that. You know, I just, I'm, I'm passionate. I just, you know, I just do it and things like this. So I want to think that whenever I am in the presence of, the, of my God, that even more than what I do here is going to come to the forefront, and I'm going to show that passion then. But let me tell you something. I don't want to wait till then because I have been given a commission here on earth to bring heaven to this place. And the way that I do that is through worshiping my God right here on earth as it is in heaven. I can hear some of you now pointing and saying, yes, Pastor Andy, I realize that's you. But my personality is not that way. And I understand that. I do. I understand that, you know, we, we, uh, we live our lives within our personality and getting all excited and having a, a a, a time of um, emotion because, you know, we, especially us men, we like to control our emotion. We like to be in control of every situation. And so, you know, I'm, and I, I, I just want to think that when we get before our Father, our Creator, that we're not going to be too concerned about who's in control because we're going to know who's in control. See, the problem with us sometimes is we think we're still in control. We want to be in charge. We want to take care of business ourselves. And we act like there should be a division between the kingdom here on earth and the kingdom that is in heaven. But I'm here to tell you today, and everything that I read, Jesus spoke, he preached, over and over and over again about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And I shared this with you a couple of weeks, and it has just been something that has emphatically been in my life. We preach Jesus on a regular basis. We preach 
grace. We preach love. We preach we preach mercy. We preach all of these things. But often we forget to preach what Jesus preached. In other words, we preach Jesus, but we don't want to get involved with preaching what Jesus preached. And he preached the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he preached. And we need to live it. We need to live it as if we have the authority and the power and the presence. Now, I'm not a name and entertainment kind of guy. I'm not one of these guys think, you know, that, 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 that I can speak to anything. But I believe that if my life lines up with the Holy Spirit and the presence of God, that I do have power to be able to pray and to speak things. And God will hear those things. And he will move upon my behalf. I mean, the word clearly tells us that we, as his people, would be able to speak to the mountain and tell it to be removed. This is not a liar. Jesus has not told me anything that's not true. And, but when was the last time you heard somebody walk up to Mount Everest and say, be gone, and it left? <laughs> I mean, it, there, there has to be some guidelines within the mountains that are in your life. Can I tell you something? Sometimes the mountains have been put in your life to see if you'll have enough faith to allow God to move them out of the way without you trying to remove them yourself. And that is your life lining up. That is your life lining up with the Word of God and what God has said you have put power over. Hey, we need to pray a hedge of protection around ourselves, around our families. We need to put up the walls of the Holy Spirit around us for protection because Satan is going to come. And he is a, he is a thief that comes in the night. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He has no weapon but to lie to us and tell us. And we need to be able to put up the Word of God before him and speak it in prayer and speak it and know that he has no business in our lives. Oh, I can't tell you you'll go, uh, you'll miss every obstacle that you won't ever have a storm. But I tell you this, as long as you stand upon the word of God, you'll walk right through every storm. I'm not going to tell you you might be, have not get a little blemish on you. But I'm here to tell you that when you come out on the other side, you'll be stronger if you allow the word of God to move in your life. Woo, I'm, I'm, I'm excited this morning about what God is telling me today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. After this, we have seen and seen the appearance of Jesus. And what is now, we know that that's the church age. And what will take place later begins in chapter 4 and goes through chapter 22. Now, as we've read chapter 4, we know that chapter 4 and chapter 5 kind of report or point to the rapture of the church with the saints being kept in heaven. And we know that chapter 16 through 18 speaks to a time that none of us want to be a part of, and that is chapter 16 through 18 speak to the tribulation. If you've ever heard of anything about tribulation, I can tell you right now, it's not going to be a very fun opportunity for anybody who has to go through it. Chapter 19 speaks to Jesus, our Lord, his He's going to step out and he's going to return again. 
And then in chapter 20, we're going to see the millennial reign for a thousand years here on earth. Wow. Wow. Revelations 4. There's kind of some wording in here that is backed up in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. That is probably the most quoted, read, uh, uh, maybe even famous verses that are wrapped around the idea of the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says this, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, I would get a little reading on that falling asleep because what they're really talking about here are those who have died. But they... The, the, the theologians think the reason why the word fallen asleep was here is because death seems to be kind of a final step, doesn't it? But fallen asleep, there's no finality to that because any time I can wake up, any time I can get up, begin to think of those that have went from this life to the next life as those that have only fallen asleep, not as those that have no hope death. I tell you, I recently had an aunt, I shared with y'all a couple of weeks ago about my aunt who was 94 years old and who passed away and had lived a life, a godly life, was one of the patriarchs of, of our family and on my dad's side. My dad has 13 brothers and sisters by the same dad and the same mom. Everybody say, go granny, all right? <laughs> I'm just saying, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine uh, having 13, much less raising 13. Only about eight of them, six, five, maybe three would have made it because I would have took them out. I couldn't have handled eight of them, 13. But, you know, they lived in a, a simple life, and they lived a life of, of faith. My grandfather uh, was an Assembly of God preacher. And uh, I don't remember much about him. I think I was 12 when he passed away, 10 or 12 years old, when he passed away at the age of 69 with a heart attack. And uh, But I do remember him standing in the pulpit at a little small church up in the country where my parent, my dad's from. And I remember him, the fire that was in him, the way he would speak and just, just share the gospel. And my aunt was the oldest of those who got the deepest amount of that. But their family, you know, there's, there's 13 of them. My dad's the oldest boy that is left, and he has three sisters that are younger than him. He's the oldest overall that's left. So there are uh, nine that have went on to be with the Lord. Some of those really got a hold of the fact that there's going to be a life after this life. Some didn't. I don't want to judge, point fingers, or even say that I pretend to know where they are or where they're not. But I do know this, that my aunt stood and prayed for every one of them as if she knew that there was something that her prayers could do in the life I remember growing up in the church where I grew up in where we would go to the altar. And people would get in the altar and they would go down there for something. It didn't matter what it was. It was I mean, it was something they needed to either get rid of or something they needed to have, grab a hold of. I don't know. But they would go down there and they would spend hours passionately praying as if they believed that something could move heaven on earth for their behalf. You know what? The church of Philadelphia is going to be the type of church that prays that way. The church of Laodicea is the church that comes in on Sunday morning. And they just 
come in and they go through the motion. And they walk out the doors and there's no context for the kind of love that God has for us. Because they don't understand it. They don't know it. They haven't experienced it. But they're living their life out there every day and they've compartmentalized everything in their life. You know, they've got their work life, school life, their 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 job, their their uh, their their family, their 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 social life, and then they got their church life where they do the little church thing a couple hours a week. See, Jesus did not come to this earth for you a couple hours a week. Jesus stepped out for all of you. The church of Philadelphia is a church that has fallen so in love with Him that they can't even fathom the very idea of eternal separation from their Creator. They can't even grab a hold of it anymore. Death. No. Not death. Just, we've fallen asleep. We've fallen asleep. It says, lest your sorrows as others who have no hope, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even as God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. In other words, it's talking about that when Jesus steps out, that there's going to be a, there's going to be a sect of people that are going to make it before those who remain. And that's those who have fallen asleep in him. Falling asleep pursuing him. Falling asleep in love with him. Falling asleep as the church of Philadelphia pursuing, being evangelistic, sharing the gospel just by the, merely the way they live their life. Those that have given their heart to Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Now, if you go back over here to the chapter 4, you're going to begin to see the talking of a loud voice, a voice that is, you know, spoken, and, 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 and it's going to very much tie into the language that you see in First Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. And with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up. Now the word called up there is given to us. It's the Greek word raptus, which is the word we get the word rapture. Those that will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore... Comfort one another with these words. We were given this passage of Scripture to comfort us. What do we need comfort for? What do we need comfort for? Well, if you look at Luke 17, 26 through 30, we're going to read and it says, As it was in the day of Noah, so it will be also in the day of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In verse 28, it goes on to say, Likewise, as it was also in the day of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went 
out of Sodom rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The revealing of the Son of Man is him stepping out. This passage of Scripture in the verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1, is a place where he begins to speak. Now, a lot of people take this, this one Scripture, and say that it is an example of the rapture given to John, and John got to experience what the rapture was going to be like so that we could grab a hold of it. The language is very similar in the way that it speaks to the shout, the trumpet. Theologians believe that actually the voice of God sounds like a trumpet. It has that bursting sound. Can you imagine? Have you ever heard? You've, you've watched the TV shows. You know, you've seen the, the uh, Charleston Heston and all the different things of when, when Moses was being spoken to. And he was there and he said, uh, uh, this is holy ground. And it's big, booming voice. And Well, the word you've got to realize here that he's explaining something that he's, it's a picture that he's trying to paint for you in words. So he's, it's, he's really saying the word of God, you can't run from it. When it's spoken, you'll hear it. When he wants you to hear what he wants you to hear, you'll not be able to deny that it was God. And when God speaks something, his voice is so clear that you'll never be able to take credit for it. You'll never be able to say, it was my voice, it was me. The Word of God speaks clearly to us, and the voice of God is the voice with a shout as a trumpet that will pierce. I played the trumpet in high school. Let me tell you something. When I grabbed a hold of that trumpet, threw it up to my mouth, and hit a B-flat, everybody could hear it. You know why? Because I got this big old capacity of lungs. I'm a big boy, and I got lots of lungs, lots of hot air. And when I began to push that air through with everything that I have, there was a noise that came out, and it shouted throughout the place. It shouted wherever I was at. Man, I wish I would have stuck playing the trumpet. It surely would have served me with a whole lot of the things I do now more than football. <laughs> it would have. God is good. Amen. Now we look at this passage of Scripture here in Luke, and it starts talking about that these these kind of line up, you know, with pictures of Noah and pictures of the way things were when, when apocalyptic moments were coming. But in those moments, we also see a remnant. We see a people. We see some that were delivered that were and I, I personally think this speaks clearly to the character of our God. I think it speaks clearly to the character of who He is. I think it pretty much in, in my mind takes off the whole uh, takes off the table the idea that we're all going to go through the complete tribulation. It does for me. It just kind of begins to remove that because there's some other things that I'm going to add to you. Look at First Thessalonians 5 and 9. It says, For God did appoint us to wrath 
He didn't appoint us to wrath. Not those that love Him. Not those that have fallen in love with Him. It's for us that He does things as if He was our Father taking care of us and doing great things for us. For God not, did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He did not appoint us to experience His wrath. It's not His desire that we, as His people, as His children, would experience His wrath. Tribulation is going to be the wrath of God falling upon the earth in judgment. That's what it is. Again, this speaks to me about the fact that our Father who is going to come again and going to take us out of this place, He's going to send His Son Jesus. He's going to step out. And with a loud voice, He's going to shout. And we're going to be taken home. Jeremiah 30 and 7 says this right here. It says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. (laughs) If you've ever kind of gone back and did a little research there about the troubles and the things that Jacob went through. I mean, I can see some correlation with some things we're going through right now. (laughs) I can see some things coming together in the same way. And it talks about Jacob's trouble. It says, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. But then it goes on, but he shall be saved out of it. Pulled out of it. Removed. Daniel 12 and 1 says this right. It said, at the time Michael, sta- Michael shall stand up. Now we know that Daniel is like, and revelations kind of work together. Most of the, A lot of the prophecies all kind of correlate or support one another. So here we have a description from Daniel of what this is going to look like. And he says, at the time Michael shall stand up. And the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble. We see a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And it says, at that time, when things look bad, when things are horrible, when things are not going well, and at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard time seeing how it is God's character and God's will for us to experience His wrath as His people. And some people may think that the Scripture speaks to the fact that not one of us is good. Not one of us has any goodness about us apart from God. And that is true. That is true. But I also know that when he came into me, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now as an advocate for all of my shortcomings. And as I pursue him and go after him, even in my mistakes, the grace that we fall into. (laughs) Y'all think we just pick them songs for fun. They go with something. We fall into grace of God that He gives to us and speaks to us. It is because He has called us to be His that He delivers out of the wrath. 
Now, also, the second thing I want you to see about this is we know that there are many places where there, it just doesn't line up. The lingo kind of matches this scripture right here. But also, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 3.13, it says, So that he may establish your heart's blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Okay, so this is pointing to the fact that there's going to be a time when Jesus is going to come back and all of the saints are going to be with him. Let me ask you a question. When did we get there? When did we get to where he was at in all of that? How did we, I mean, when did that happen? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. If you look at Revelations 9, 19, 11 through 14, it says, Now I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in the righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine Lenin, white and clean, followed him on his white horse. Now, we look back and we know that Scripture points to those that have been given their heart and their life Christ. They become clothed in white. So this is speaking to those that who have attained heaven and are in heaven, and they're going to be coming back with him. The armies, we talk about, even here on earth, that we are to be soldiers for the cross, soldiers for God. We talk about that even here as ambassadors, we are his soldiers. We are in God's army. Even when we get there, we're going to be a part of a great army, clothed in white, that's going to step out and come back to make war with this earth and the things that Satan has tried to inflict upon it and bring it into submission to who God is and what he intended from the beginning of time. The Garden of Eden is coming back. The tree of life is being raised again and we're wrapped in it as he would see for it to happen. Hallelujah. The next thing I want you to see is we're going to be returning with him, so if we're going to return with him, we've got to go there sometime. But, as I spoke to you a little while ago, the church appears in Revelations 1 and through 3, chapters 1 through 3, 19 times. But after chapter 3, not again until Revelations 22 and 16. It's hard of me to believe that the church is... If it's here, the church that he's talking about, with the that, that, that he's coming back for, the church of Philadelphia, that it wouldn't be mentioned in the other things that it's going to be going through, the, the, the hell, fire, and brimstone, the torture, the tribulation, all the things that the world will be facing at the time. It's hard for me to believe. There's an absence of the church throughout the tribulation. Speaks to me, a simple man that I am, in reasoning things out the way that I do, that maybe we're not going to be here. Also in verse 19 and 11, there's only one other time that we see like we do 
in this first passage where it says, there is a heaven and was an open door. In verse 19 and 11, let's go over there real quick. And it's where we were just reading a few minutes ago talking about the rider on the white horse. And it says, then I saw heaven opened. Heaven's opened. Heaven's opened. And there was a white horse, and its riders called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. Every time we see that heaven's been opened, we also see that Christ is coming back. We see him stepping out. So in verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, when it says, there is heaven was an open door, when we see that, we see a correlation between what's being spoken to us. We see that there was something that John experienced that if not the exact experience that we'll have, when we ascended to heaven, something that was very closely related to so that he could paint a picture through words what he was seeing so that we may be able to grasp it. Then it says, come up here. Look at Revelations 11 and 12. Revelations 11 and 12, it says also that he come up here. Says, uh, then he heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched. At that moment, a violent earthquake took place. Now, in this passage of Scripture, it's talking about the two witnesses that I'll get into later. I get to talking about it. We'll get into that a little later, but there's, there's, there's witnesses. And in this, it speaks to heaven opened. Come up here. And they came where he was. Now, if you look at the common lingo and the different passages of Scripture that I shared with you, you can definitely make an argument, at the very least, for the fact that whenever we go, whenever the, the tribulation starts, at the very least, the church won't be here. I believe it speaks to the character of our Creator, speaks to the character of our God, that He would do that, that He would want to take us out. Scripture talks about His not have His wrath. There's something else. This whole book was written to give us hope. And if I don't have any great assurance with definitive understanding, that if I can't grab a hold of this and say, without a doubt, I know without a doubt, he'll have I hope that the character of God is, is, is what I'm reading and that he's going to display that on me. And that I hope that, that what I'm reading here when he says that he doesn't wish that we would have to go through the wrath and the torment that he, he's talking about me. Because if that's his character, I know that I have nothing to worry about. Stay with me. 
I have nothing that I have to be concerned about, nothing that I have to bow bow to. Because I know, no matter what, my God is going to be there with me. He's going to be there. You know, the concern for some people about whether or not we face the tribulation or not is that when we study this, we're going to read the very, the word says the very Spirit of God will be there. I have a question for you. How can the Spirit of God leave if I'm still here and the Spirit is in there? I mean, that just... I'm like, now, those that don't know Him, that haven't bowed to Him, that haven't surrendered to Him, well, maybe they don't understand what the world looks like without the Spirit of God standing before Satan and holding back the dark. I think it was in one of our texts or something this week we were talking about darkness and light and different things like that. And we were talking about how, you know, when when light comes into any dark situation, darkness disappears. It's no longer dark. Now in the light. Darkness is the apt light. The very apt. Think for a moment, if you could imagine with me. You look at I I look at the deterioration of mankind and our moral value and character just from the time that I was a boy till now. According to scripture. Not according to my own moral standards. I won't mind a lot of that. Things that have come upon this earth. The destruction, the the torment, the pain, the suffering. We're facing some things right now that I just you just couldn't have told me a few years ago that was even possible. I believe the Spirit of God getting ready. The Spirit of God is in me. I have to be leaving too. Because at this point in my life, Spirit has taken over so much. Not to say that I don't have issues and things that I do wrong, but it's taken over so much but I just don't know that I could back down to any kind of darkness in my flesh. I'd have to look at the <laughs> I'd have to look at the darkness in my flesh and say no. Because I know. Only way chaos takes place. The way it's going scripture speaks in revelations, it's going to take place. Is that the Spirit of God is out here and the Spirit of God is gone? Then I have to be gone. Would you bow your heads for me?